0: All right, now, how many of you remember what the gospel was last week? It was It was the story of the gathering demoniac and the and sort of the pigs sort of take over that gospel meeting and it 's kind of been a running joke in our family for many years. Um, whenever I get asked to do a homily or something i 'll say oh it 's probably the gathering demoniac." Because there's always a sense that whenever you're preaching on that one, you're missing something, because <laughs> it seems so big, and it's really hard to ignore, ignore the pigs, sort of, so to speak. <laughs> and so this is actually what happened last week. Um, so Father had asked me to do the homily last week, and I said, well, I was probably the gathering demoniac <laughs> to my wife, and sure enough, it was. <laughs> and... Um, and and at, at that moment, I just started thinking, man, I've got to find something that really... And I had this little tiny seed of a thought. And and before, I'd always try to talk about the theology of the pigs and of the demons and all that. And, um, and it was really just focusing on on the demoniac himself. And this is just a seed of a thought in my head that just barely entered... My consciousness. And I was looking around um, online and I'd read, I'd read the commentaries from Blessed Theophiloc and some of the other fathers, but I just looked online for Orthodox commentary on the Gathering de And I found this piece that was written by um, Father Anthony Bloom, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom. I don't know if you're familiar with Metropolitan Anthony of Blessed Memory. And it was found in some cassette tapes. After he was, um, in, after he reposed, and it was a, a little like Bible study on the gathering demoniac. And his focus on that was exactly the same as that little seed that had sort of entered my mind into focus on the gathering demoniac. Now, Father, Father Matthew then came and said, You know, I really want to talk about what's going on in Ukraine, so he kind of took it back, which was. Not with me. Um, (laughs) But, um, anyway, I I, I did spend some time after that, just thinking about this sermon and this this, uh, sort of Bible study or this talk that Father, or that Metropolitan Anthony Bloom had given. And it is not unrelated to today's Gospel. So today's Gospel, we find Christ on his way to visit the home of Jairus, where there is a... Uh, a his daughter is, is dying. And this event and the, these series of events are all connected. The gathering demoniac, the woman with the issue of blood, and the, um, the Jairus' daughter, all are very, very strongly connected, I think. And they're connected in this. But first, we have to remember that we have an infinite god that is beyond our comprehension we cannot conceive of how big and wonderful and amazing and huge and infinite that our god really is and he's incomprehensible now for those of you guys who know a little bit of physics right you you guys know that positives and negatives attract right you know why they attract Neither is anybody else. That's just a rule we discovered. Okay, and then we discovered that the electrons are out on the outside of the atom, and they're negatively charged, and the protons are in the center of the atom. And then we discovered that all of the positive charges are together in a really tiny space called the nucleus, and they're they're really close together, but they're positively charged. Now you know what positively charged things do to each other? They repel each other. Do you know why? No, neither does anybody else. They just do. But in the nucleus, they don't. And the nucleus is almost inconceivably small compared to the atoms. And of course, atoms make up everything. Right? So we've got these atoms that are held together and there's the electrons that are negative on the outside being held on by the attraction to the positive nucleus but the positive nucleus has lots of protons lots of positive charges very close to each other and they all repel each other and all the laws of physics say that if they are really close to each other they have nearly infinite forces of repulsion that means they should fly apart the nucleus of all atoms should fly apart but they don't you know why? neither does anybody else So we we said, wow, there must be this really strong force inside the nucleus. Let's call it the strong force of the nucleus. (laughs) Now, we, we as modern adults with huge amounts of knowledge and the ability to manipulate these things into medicines and computers and all this, we don't know the fundamental nature of what holds the universe together. But there is a scripture somewhere that says, In Him all things hold together. That Christ our God, the infinite God before all time, holds the universe together by His will. It is the will of God that the universe holds together the way it is. Now, to our, to our gospel readings of the last two weeks... God, who is holding the universe together by His will, by His thought, by His word, is walking around on earth. And someone comes up to Him and says, My daughter is dying. Will you come to my house? And He says, Okay. He is willing to drop everything, or seemingly, and to focus entirely on on the person who is suffering right in front of him. And then, he's walking through a crowd, and there's a woman who he doesn't even see, of course, being God, who's holding her molecules together by his will, he knows her. He knows her in his heart, but truthfully, being a man with eyes, he knows this person. But he doesn't know exactly who it was who touched him, but he felt that his healing power had gone out to her. So, what does he do? He's urgently rushing to the house of one to heal her, and yet he stops and does, gives his complete attention to this woman. Who was it that touched me? Who, was it? who is this person that I know who I can't see in this crowd? And she comes forward. Now the previous week, the gathering demoniac. Okay. So Jesus is worn out he spoke all day long. He um, says, let's get in the boat, let's go to a quiet place. So he goes across the Sea of Galilee, and who does he come across? He comes out of the boat, and right there, a man rushes over to him and bows before him. And he's not a normal looking man. He's, um, his hair is disheveled. He doesn't have any clothes on. And he he. he Bows before Christ, he kneels before Christ and says, What are what have you, you going to do with me? And Jesus puts all of his attention on this man. Jesus was trying to find a place. He's like, No, I don't have time for this. I'm really trying to get together with my disciples so we can have a little rest. No, he puts all of his attention on that one person. So whether it's Jairus, or whether it's the woman with issue of blood, whether it's the gathering demoniac, the infinite God above all, holding everything together, is a person who puts everything aside for one suffering person, and I think we forget this—that our God, who is so big and so far away, that He cares literally about each and every person. Now that was my attempt to su- summarize, but let me read to you a little bit from this Anthony Bloom piece. The Savior Jesus Christ, who is, who is God, became man. He is the Word of God who created the universe. He rules the world by His wisdom. And suddenly here, as in a whole series of other occurrences, He forgets about everything, it seems, because in front of him is a specific need. One specific suffering person. And this is enough for him to turn all his divine and human attention to that person. So this is a remarkable trait in Christ. This is a remarkable trait in God. We often think that there are great and worthwhile things. And things that are small are hardly worth our attention. But it is not so with God. There is no suffering. No pain, no need, and no joy that God cannot relate to completely with all of his being. And sometimes he introduces a new element into a hopeless situation and opens, as it were, a door which makes a way out of the situation where there was no way out before. So I just think it's so, well, God is incomprehensible. But our God is a person, a very personal God. And I think many, many of our troubles are because we forget that. So when we pray to God, we don't pray with faith that He really, really, really does care and is willing. We can't say He's going to drop everything He's doing. That wouldn't work out very well for the universe. Okay. But He is able inconceivably to give us His entire attention. And that when we cry out to God, we can be absolutely certain that He is paying attention. In fact, He's paying attention when we're not crying out to Him. But He's waiting for us to ask. And that's another aspect, I think, of all of these Gospels, is that our our Lord, our infinite, powerful compassionate, personal God is always ready but he doesn't act unless our will is involved. Jesus knew that Jairus' daughter was dying. There were lots of people who were dying in Palestine and around the Sea of Galilee or wherever he happened to be. But why did he go to Jairus' house? Because Jairus asked him. Now, now this is a little bit... Why did he heal the demoniac? Well, the demoniac was suffering. But what happened first? The demoniac ran over to him and bowed with every bit of will that 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 demoniac still had in his possession. He ran and fell at the feet of Christ. And he wasn't even able to speak. The the, The demon spoke and said, what are you going to do with us, Jesus? We know who you are. But God acts in response to that little seed of will. And the woman whose issue of blood, she was following Him for a while. How long had she been suffering? Christ knew that she had been suffering. But when, when did He heal her? When she acted. When she reached out. And as soon as she reached out and touched Him, what did He do? He stopped, turned around, and gave her his full attention. And I think so often we... You know, Jesus says to his disciples, O oh, ye men of little faith. And I think he says that to us too. Well, what do we mean, little faith? We believe that you are the Christ. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in, in the redemptive work on the cross. We believe all these things. Yes, but do you believe that when you ask me in prayer about the care of your children, that I really care, and that I'm going to answer your prayers? Do you really believe? Because I think if we really believed, we would be asking a lot more often. But we don't. Why don't? Because we're like, well, God's busy, and I don't know what the will of God is for my kids, so... Well, He knows. So we need to ask. And so... And he is always ready to answer. Sometimes in really big and dramatic ways. Okay, I feel like I'm babbling on a little bit up here. Any thoughts or things you? I know Father Matthew does kind of a use this kind of a lectureish kind of thing, right? Do you have any questions still? Yeah. I don't always make it in there on all of them. So.
1: So when you're counting into will, all the examples given have been pretty much either a person asking for themselves or a person asking for someone that they are personally responsible for, typically a child. Right. How does that work when praying for someone else who isn't praying for themselves? But like me praying for someone, A, that I, I could potentially have never met, but I've heard about.
0: Right. Well, I think, like I said... Our God is incomprehensibly big and infinite. And He doesn't run out of attention. And so every single person, He has imbued with His Holy Spirit. It is in Him that we move and breathe and have our being. And not just we who believe, but every single person is created in the image of God and has been given the breath of life, which is the Spirit. Christ resides in every single person. And so, if we um, pray for others, then God is more than willing to act up to the point where He doesn't violate their freedom. And so, what's our job? Our job is to pray for God to act, especially for those who are not asking themselves. And if we read um, St. Silouan, um we are to be praying for who? Do you guys know at all about what St. Silwan? Who are we supposed to? Everyone. We can pray for everyone. And it, it was the goal of his life to really be praying for the whole world. There is no one that we should not be praying for. When we are tempted to judge somebody, guess who we should be praying for? When we are tempted to want to correct someone, or someone even who is far away, you know, every, every service we pray for our politicians. Do we really pray for our politicians? When we see them in the news and we grumble about what they said or what they did or what they're going to do, or whatever, do we say, Lord, have mercy upon them. May whatever they do be turned to good. But we so there's a story, um, and I always flub this story, so I may fumble over this one a little bit. But um, Saint Silouan was, I think, he was traveling somewhere, and he encountered this monk, and the, this monk was sort of railing against the atheists, um, and atheists being the communists and the atheists who were in Greece, and he was kind of railing against those and how those atheists were really going to get what they deserve. You know, in God's judgment, they were really going to get it, and he was—he was angry and he was upset at, at the at the atheists. And Saint Solon kind of looked at him and said, "Now, supposing um, you end up in paradise, and in paradise you look down and you see the atheists suffering in hell." He says, are you going to feel sad for them? Are you going to feel... And the other monk replies, well, it can't be helped. That's the judgment of God. And since someone replied, he says, he said, love could never bear that. And so we must pray for all. Love would never bear that. So we must pray for all. There is no one at any time that will be outside of God's mercy. Outside of God's care. Outside of God's care. Um, And so, we must pray for all. Of course, we probably just need to start by just praying. And I feel like uh, we maybe have only just begun to scratch the surface of prayer. And why? I think because we, we don't believe that this infinite God could care for us. Well, of course, we know He does. died on the cross for us. He was raised for us. But no, He cares about how your children are doing in school because you do. And He cares for you. And He cares. So when you offer your prayers to God for all these little things that you think are little, God is infinite. He can care personally for all of that. And so this, I think, should, should motivate our prayer, to, should give wings to our prayer, that we know that God is listening, and He is ready to reach out His hand to us. And now we'll have a moment of heavy rain. So, so I think I know what you're talking about. So at the proscenity, which is where we prepare the, the bread and the lamb for the, for the, um, sacrifice later. And I'm more
1: familiar with OCA. Well,
0: I, I, I don't know much about that, but it, it is, it is tradition that the people, so, so during the prayers, we read all the, the priests and the deacon and the senior, um, ecclesiarchs will read the names of every person who has been submitted to the, um, Church to be commemorated at the proscenity. And we've got a pretty good stack of, of papers that we read. And the, the priest will take a piece of the offering, the prosphora, and he, he just kind of scrapes off a little crumb. And the idea is that each crumb represents one of those names. And so that when I come out with the patent at the great entrance, there is a little pile in and there's, there's, the, there's the host, the offering, And there is other little pieces commemorating other people, the Theotokos and the saints and the 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 hierarchs who ordained the priests and other people that he has placed on there. And there's a little pile of crumbs representing all of those people who are living. And we have another list of people that we also read, and those people are people who have reposed. And there's a little pile of crumbs there. And those are only people who are in the church. We only commemorate those. Why? Because when we're processing, what we are offering to God is the bread, but we are offering ourselves and everyone who is in the church. So this is a, a church event, so it, it is appropriate that we only offer up the church. But you can pray for anyone who comes. So when, in the in the service, the, the deacon comes out and says, "And remember each of us who whoever whoever I call to mind, whoever we call to mind, or something like that. We pray for everybody." Yeah. when you
1: do your when you do the intercessions, you pray for the entire world. I mean, there's no little exclusive, you know,
0: for peace, you know. For right, right, right. The Salvation of all. That, I mean, yeah. that's not exclusive. Right? That's, that's everybody. We're little. There are ones that say for pious and Orthodox Christians, good, well, but yeah, true. but there are ones when we pray for the whole world. So in the liturgy, we do pray for the world. Sure,
1: sure. I guess I've seen it when I've seen them doing other liturgy liturgies. Usually, you know, they, give, they write it on a piece of paper, and, and the deacon would take that and sort of compile it, and then in front of everyone, he would say, "We pray for," and then he mentions, he says the names like a like three or four Johns and his first names, and so I just thought, how's he going to know who's too, but anyway, no, that was a great explanation rather than Yeah, and so. Services specifically for lists of the reposed Orthodox and living Orthodox. Yes. I don't remember what those are called, but half little lists, and we also made at the same time.
0: For, for the. For, for privacy for the living. Yeah. Yeah. And then we need regular memorials for those who are proposed. Yeah. So the prayers of the church, are in the church, are by and large for the faithful and people in the church. But by all means, we should be praying for all, which gives us a pretty good list. So by all means, we should be praying. It is so funny how hard it is for us to pray, to set aside five minutes, because we don't know what to say. So what do we do when we don't know what to say? We say, Lord, I don't know what to say. And Scripture says that the Spirit Himself prays for us because we do not know how to pray with groanings that are, that are beyond comprehension, beyond words. And so we can be confident that if we just offer ourselves up. And what about the thoughts that we have going in all directions? I just keep praying anyway. Pray for those. You know, pray for them to go away. If they're good thoughts, then pray for the people who come to mind. To love one another, so you know there's that doesn't have a bound a boundary to that, and in the, and in the church we're we're asked to do that for everyone. So one of us in our morning or evening prayers, that's we, we have those prayers that are praying for other people outside of the church, and then we have a prayer group that prays for
1: people in the church and outside of the church. So you know, so it really is comprehensive, and only a very small amount, like he was mentioning, which is part of the surface. Is the part that um, we're still praying, you know, but we've we've narrowed in a way to the people that are are receiving
0: from the church. And this is part of the gift that we give to him and then he gives back to us. I think that's the only difference. Any other thoughts or comments? Not about that. <laughs> okay. We all have lots of thoughts. Well, got a oh, you got a question. So
1: there, I don't remember who, who told this story. Um, there was someone who was judging someone else in a monastery and the father was like, oh, so or I think it was the Holy Spirit who was like, oh, do you want me to get, get, let you decide where this person's going at the end of time? And the person spent the whole rest of their life in repentance for cried because they were judging their brother. Where was I going with this? Uh, a lot of judgment, like with the, the monk that you talked about, oh, the atheists, oh, the communists, if they end up in hell, so be it, you know, that's God's. Well, there are many wrongs that people do that I never, if, if that was the only thing weighing the balance between heaven and hell I'd be like no no push them to heaven but can you like have them stub their toe at some point nothing I don't want eternal judgment for this it's not that big a deal but maybe just like a paper cut at some point or something it's like obviously that's not a good idea but
0: I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure
1: is there any non-eternal judgment
0: oh my, my goodness do we not do you not experience the, your own consequences for your own little sins I mean, don't we all? I can't I mean, that would be Well, I know, but you can't. But I'm saying, for your own sins, don't your own sins have a bunch of natural consequences? And there, there is a judgment right there. So that when we sin, um, there, there's there is sort of a little, a little paycheck right now. A little. Hey, we we often get little reminders. I mean, not all the time, obviously, but there are natural consequences to our sin. Is Sunday school out already? Wow, I thought we just started. I guess we started late. Well, all right, well, let's say a little prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ our God, we thank you for this day. We pray that it would not be quite so wet on the way to our cars, that you would be with us, that you would speak to us, and above all, you would remind us of your personal love and attention for us and for all that we care about. May we offer all those things to you in in prayer and, and have great faith that you will answer our prayers according to your will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.